0: We're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 10, and I'll invite you to stand with me as we open this word together. Would you pray this prayer with me? Lord, this is your word to me today. May it be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Help me to hide this word in my heart that I might not sin against you. May I pray it in, read it through, through. live it out, and pass it on. Amen. Amen. Here we begin at uh, verse 10. Paul is writing. He says, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, Now from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. May God, add his blessing, to his word, you be seated, please. You know, it must have been difficult uh, for Eunice to have raised a godly child. That's never easy, but it must have especially not been an easy thing in the first century. Timothy was surrounded by a pagan culture, inviting him to constantly stray from his moral values. In our study, we've seen how Timothy himself could be rather passive, He he, he was kind of a timid personality and may have had, in fact, trouble standing against the tide of culture. Eunice was also aware that if her son really did begin to follow Jesus, that he put himself in jeopardy of persecution, which was uh, the the world was becoming hostile and more hostile to believers. And so uh, what even made it more difficult in my mind was that Eunice probably did this without the support of a spouse. At the very least, Timothy's father was an unbeliever. He probably, in fact, had died. And so Eunice is forced to rear her son as a single parent. Yet, we see that she succeeded. Timothy grew to be a faithful man of God. He followed in the footsteps of his mother and became a Christian. Now, we know that Eunice had help. There was the boy's grandmother, too. We read of Lois. The Apostle Paul served as a role model for Timothy as well. But I just imagine Eunice glowing with satisfaction when she knew that her boy had been charged with now becoming the leader of the church in the first century. Now, we as parents all hope that our children will accept and and keep our own values. 3 John 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That's the heart of every parent. I want to show you a a video very quickly of a a young lady who had her wisdom teeth pulled. She was still under the effects of anesthesia. And what you see is some of those values that that her family had incorporated into her kind of coming out. So let's just take a moment and, and enjoy this for a second.
1: You're so glad you don't have to take well, drugs so said, Or anything These need, we don't need drugs back. are not good for your body except I took drugs No, 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 honey Just anesthetic for, for your I'm A- on drugs right now No, no, honey not on <laughs> drugs right now.
0: I'm sorry I, I, I didn't know I did it No, honey, it's okay it's I, okay. I did not know
1: to drugs No, no, honey, you're not doing drugs You're not doing drugs it's just medicine. You took some I medicine. Mom I do drugs. Honey, honey, you're not doing drugs. You had some medicine. You can't tell Mom. Okay, I won't tell her. I won't tell her, darling. Honey, it's okay. So what? I'm sorry I did drugs. Oh, honey, it's okay. Right. You didn't. You didn't, darling. You didn't do drugs. You took some medicine. Some medicine. The medicine. Oh, and no. T- What's wrong? She was here the whole time! <laughs> no, no, you did take drugs. You did no, not. she, no, honey, she did no. not. no, no, self, no. She did no. not take <laughs> drugs.
0: <laughs> I love that. I just couldn't help it. I saw that last week, and I thought, wow. You know, if you think about Timothy, to, to my knowledge, in all of the New Testament, Timothy is the only example that we have of a second-generation convert in the New Testament. All other New Testament Christians were converted as adults, but Timothy's mother and grandmother seemed to be the primary influence of one who came to Christ. And I think that ought to be significant to us. We ought to take a look at that. We ought to spend some time thinking about that because I am often reminded that our primary responsibility as parents and grandparents and adults in the church is to see it, to see to it that the next generation, our children, come to know the Lord and follow Him. We are certainly commissioned to, to go out into the world and to preach the gospel, but our first assignment is to deliver our own children to the mercies of God. Now, my wife hates this, but I'm a fan of the the music of Johnny Cash. She doesn't like that, but he used to sing an old gospel song, and I remember it well. May the circle be unbroken. By and by, Lord, by and by, there's a better home awaiting in the sky, Lord, in the sky. And I won't go on to that. I won't even try to sing it. But the song was all about, Lord, may we as a family stand together in heaven. May there be that moment when all of us are gathered together. That circle is unbroken for eternity. One of the great burdens of my heart as a pastor is always thinking about how can we do a better job as a church in assisting you, assisting families to point their children to Christ. The primary reason so many of you have sacrificed and have been a part of the Generations Campaign uh, as we see this facility taking shape is you understand that our goal is to to disciple and use it as a tool to disciple young people. When I was making my commitment to the campaign uh, three years ago now almost, I I said, Lord, I'm a pastor. I don't make as much as some, but I want to be in the top ten givers of this campaign. And I didn't know what number that would be, but I asked the Lord, put a number on my heart that'll put me in that top tier. And the Lord uh, put a number on my heart, and I said, really, that much? Uh, (laughs) And I realized, and and the way he he brought that about, he said, well, how much was the greatest expense that you've made in your house? What have you done, renovation, extension? What what was the most expensive thing you've done? And it was the roof. We had replaced a roof. And I figured out that that was the number that, that the Lord called me to, to, to give toward the campaign. I figured if I could spend that on my house and my kids, then I should be able to do the same for God's house and His children. And it's been a little difficult. It's been a little bit of a, you know, because we've got two, soon three in college and whatnot, but the Lord has provided And so many of you have had that same experience over and over again. And so we see this taking shape, and I am grateful for that. Because my heart breaks when I think about how, as a culture, even in the evangelical church, we're missing it. Children who are in our homes, and yet we let them slip through the nets into the world. We need to mend those nets. We need to, as a church, rise up and, and understand that there are some principles in Scripture. Now, nothing is foolproof. Every child has to make their own decision. But we do see some principles in Scripture, how we, like Eunice, can rear our children for the Lord. And the first thing that jumps out at me when I look at this passage is that we need to saturate them with Scripture, Paul says in verse 15, how from infancy you have known from the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible is a very special and unique book. Verse 16, Paul says, all Scripture is God-breathed. Remember, when God created man, Genesis describes how God formed the man from the dust of the ground. And the Bible says that he breathed into his nostrils his breath of life, and he became a living soul. And so man was distinctive from all the other creatures because he had the breath of God upon him and in him. When, when men wrote the Bible, God it breathed into it and it became a living, active book. And so the Bible is distinctive from all other books that you might read. God has breathed life into these pages. Now, we need to understand, it's not that God simply dictated the Bible. The writers of the Bible were not helpless automatons when they penned Scripture but the essence of what they were writing came from God's heart. In other words, when Paul is in prison and you were to ask him, Paul, what are you writing? Paul would not have said, well, I don't know. It looks like it's going to be 2 Timothy. God has been controlling the pen. We'll just have to wait and see. That's not what happened. No, God took the author His vocabulary, the cultural context, all of his experiences, and used all of those things to express his heart and his purpose. Josh McDowell, in 2015, wrote a book called God Breathed. When Josh was a teenager in his college years, he was an unbelieving skeptic and an opponent of Christianity in the Bible. He said in an interview explaining his opposition to faith, and I quote, when I was young and in the university, I was an honorary agnostic, the kind who says, you don't know, I don't know, so forget it. Life was hard, having been homosexually raped for seven years, from age six to 13, and growing up with an alcoholic father. Because of this, I was very bitter, and I took it out on God, unquote. So as a young man, he traveled far and wide to show that Christianity was false. But the funny thing happened as he continued to do his research. His research began to take an interesting turn when he realized through the study of ancient manuscripts that the Old Testament had been recorded and passed down accurately. His his eyes were open to the fact that in the New Testament you had the accounts of eyewitnesses and their, their evidence was irrefutable. He said, I became convinced that the scriptures are the outward breath of God, and it's God sharing his heart, mind, and soul with his creation. Unquote. I've learned if, if someone asks me, why do I believe the Bible? I tell them, I believe the Bible because I choose to believe it. I'll ask them, why don't you believe the Bible? Because the truth is, I've discovered that for people in general, it's not usually an intellectual problem. The Bible has plenty of evidence to support it. People do not believe the Bible because they don't want to. They they realize to do so makes them responsible to apply it to their lives. Josh McDowell went on, he said the scriptures were alive alive because it was relevant for every generation but he said it's alive because it changed my life quote when i finally got up the courage to tell someone about being sexually raped that man began to mentor a man began to mentor me out of the scriptures for 6 months as a result, I literally saw my life change right before my eyes. My attitude, my feelings, my emotions, and my behavior all started to change. You see, the Holy Spirit not only breathed life into the Word, He breathes into us when we're reading it. And if we're ready to receive that breath, He begins to change our hearts. He begins to challenge it. He uses God's Word to change us, the breath of God. And so Paul says in verse 15, the scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation. And by the way, that is the primary interest of the book, of this book. It's about salvation. It begins by telling us that God created us perfectly. We had a perfect relationship with God. But because of of, of man's deliberate rebellion against God, that relationship was severed and Not only were we severed from God, we were severed from life. But God in his love sends Jesus Christ to reconcile the world to himself. He dies to redeem us. And if we choose to accept Jesus Christ and follow him, we are restored to that right relationship with God and restored to life. And so the Bible is given to us to make us wise to the path of salvation. It's laid out again and again through the course of history. We have this evidence of God's redeeming love in our hearts, in our lives. Now, when you are saved, when you you accept Christ, the Bible continues then to be a source of wisdom and revelation. Verse 16, Paul says, It is useful for teaching, teaching you what is right, for rebuking, which means when you're not right, for correcting, when you might need to get right, or for training, so that you can become right. So the the servant of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So this book is a book of wisdom. And so if our children know the scripture, their consciences can be programmed, they are understanding the world from a biblical understanding, a godly understanding. David said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. But how is it that we saturate, then, our children with the Word of God? Well, there are a couple of very practical things that jump to my mind. First, we can take advantage of the church. You know, in our church, we strive to have an engaging Sunday school program and junior church program. We're not always there. We're not always right, but we keep working at it. And by the way, our programming is never just to be an entertainment or a babysitting opportunity. Our goal is to, re- to, to reinforce a biblical understanding of the world. Did you hear our, our children's uh, choir the other uh, day, a couple of weeks ago? Did you notice what they were singing? They were singing scripture. They were memorizing scripture. I know of no better way to memorize scripture than the gift of music. And I so appreciate the leadership of those, those women who, who do that. Now, I noticed next weekend, you've heard about it this morning, the scriptural engagement seminar. I hope that you will take the opportunity to come out and be a part of what we are giving you. Danny, uh, I, I knew him from Asbury. I know that he's, a, he's got a great heart. He's going to be a good communicator. Come out and be a part of that. How can I do a better job of taking this word that is alive and applying it to my own life and opportunities? Uh, don't come very often like that. So take that opportunity. And by the way, then, if you're a parent or you're a grandparent and you're not taking advantage of the classes in the church, I think you're missing a great golden opportunity. And and I'll just give you this hint. I, I believe this. If you insist that your children be a regular part of Sunday school and church, then when they are young and you make that a priority, I believe that you tend not to face some of the hassles when they get to be teenagers. Because you've, you've just, it's just part of the routine. There's not a question. But secondly, your children need to be taught the scriptures from home, in your home. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, Moses wrote, These commands I give to you today are to be upon your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road when you lie down, and when you get up. You see, what Moses is describing there is you're not going to be able to develop a biblical worldview in an hour on Sunday. There are too many other hours where our children are bombarded with all kinds of secular, pagan, and often satanic worldview. The the idea is that there would be this constant, consistent conversation that's just a natural part of your relationship with your son or your daughter. So you can talk about God's design for, for life and for marriage, and, and, and you can talk about issues regarding creation itself, but, but just don't give an arbitrary answer. You say, what the Bible teaches. This is what the Bible says. And if you don't know what the Bible says about that issue, study it, look it up, do it together. Saturate your home, your conversations with the word of God. In our house, you walk in, and you'll see right above, as, you, as soon as you walk in in the foyer, Revelation 21.5, Behold, I make all things new. As you walk out of our home, you have Joshua 24.15, Choose you this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's those kinds of things. My, my wife for years has had scripture on the mirrors in her bedroom and in different places in her home. Secondly, I believe this, however, that will only go so far. It needs to be modeled in their midst. In verse 14, Paul wrote, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it. Now, who did he learn it from? Well, Timothy's mother and grandmother have modeled that message in Timothy's presence. Back in chapter 1, we read that, Timothy, I've been reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. So it was not just something they talked about. It was something they lived out. Boy, that's an important truth there, isn't it? All of our teaching is of little value if it is not worked out in our lives. Because listen, our children are perceptive. They know phoniness. They know hypocrisy. They keenly observe when there's an inconsistency between what we confess and how we live. Listen, if, if you teach, teach them the scriptures, don't bear false witness, don't lie, but the phone rings and you say, well, tell them I'm not home. What does that do? Subtle, small, no big deal, right? Ah. You, you teach them the importance of scripture. You say, the word teaches, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. But a ball game comes along and you skip out. What are you doing but nullifying the power of God in their life, the power of God's word? You teach them, don't let any unwholesome talk come from your mouth. But Somebody scratches your car and you let out a stream of expletives and and you uh, take the name of the Lord your God in vain. What do you do? You've just invalidated the impact of God's word in your life. See, it has to be taught and caught. It has to be seen. And if it's not, it's going to have a devastating impact. But notice here, too, that it's not just modeled by parents, as important as that is. It was modeled to Timothy by Paul. Paul says, You know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my love, my endurance. You know, that reminds me, there comes a time in our children's lives when parents aren't as much of an influence as they used to be. That's a, that may be a hard day, but it's sure to come. And I think as Christians, we ought to be alert to opportunities to be positive role models for young people outside of our own families, even. My, my Joshua, my second son, is a sophomore at Asbury University, We are so grateful, however, in high school, he had a gentleman, was the security guard or the security person at his little high school, a Christian man who just came alongside of him, Mr. Wollaber, and took a liking to Joshua, invited him to join him in the martial arts program that he taught. Joshua came to life through that ministry, and I call it a ministry because that's exactly what it was. Joshua gained confidence, he, he, you know, and, and this was just out of the blue. We didn't see it coming, but God put a man in his life, and what a difference it made. Now Joshua went off to Asbury. He gained such confidence. He's not doing martial arts as much anymore, but it gave him confidence and strength, and now he's on the, the, the school tumbling team doing gymnastics, jumps, and all this acrobatic stuff. Crazy, crazy stuff. He'd never get that from his dad, never, Okay. <laughs> But this spring break, he's going up to New York, and he's going to be doing that in a, as a ministry during spring break. And then, then this uh, summer, he's going to Puerto Rico doing street ministry, using that. We hope to make it down in April to watch what they call Jim Jamboree. Uh, but all that came because one man, who I didn't even know, but God put, put him in his life. You realize we have an opportunity to do that again and again. Are we open to those opportunities? One more thing that we ought to learn in this section: We're to warn each other, or warn our children about the world. Now we talked a little bit about this last week, and, and I'm just glad you show back up, because I know in some ways that was a hard message. But Paul had warned Timothy that the world was going to get worse. Verse 13, he reminds him again, evil men and imposters are going to go from bad to worse. I am convinced that our children face temptations today so much more intense than what we just faced a couple of decades ago, certainly when I was a teenager. You saw the the, the drug scene, the accessibility of pornography, the social media pressures, the secularization of our culture, the confusion about gender, the callous and indecent use of language. You could go on and on. But Paul in these last days says, there will be terrible times, he said. He says they will be lovers of pleasure. That's that's hedonism. They will be lovers of themselves. That's narcissism. Lovers of money. That's materialism. So in the last days, it's going to be tough to be a Christian, Paul says. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He lets Timothy know it. But that doesn't mean we scare them. It doesn't mean we we scare our children. Listen, persecution may be not so far off in our own uh, country. But people who believe in the Bible, who are following Christ, are going to be considered radical, maybe hateful, a stain on society. It's already happened on secular campuses across the country. But we don't scare our children. It means we prepare them that they are going to face increasing pressure, but God will help them. Paul says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's the cost of following Christ. But then he reminded Timothy, you remember what happened to me and the Lord rescued me from it all. It's part of the cost. But God is in control. He will take care of his children. I, I, I want to end our service this morning a little differently than maybe we would normally do at least. And I want us to pray for our young people. I want us to pray for the next generation. I want us to pray for ourselves that we would be godly role models. That we would be the kind of person that, that exemplifies the God breath of scripture that lives out through us. And I know that there are mom and dads here, and you don't know where your son or your daughter stand. I want you to pray for pray for your kids. Maybe your grandparent. Maybe you're an aunt or uncle. I want to take some time, and I want us to just pray together as a church. Maybe you're a son or daughter today, and you know you have not been walking with the Lord. But this is your day. This is the day to say yes, and say, I'm going to follow him no matter the cost. Because Jesus Christ died for you, and he's alive again, and he's risen for you. And he calls you to this. He says, follow me. You can trust me. Let's pray together. Let's bow our heads, and as we do that, Tim, I I think Tim is going to come. I'm not quite sure what Tim is uh, prepared for, but I'd like you to stand, and if anyone needs to just come to this altar, and you want to, uh, maybe, maybe as a... Maybe as a couple, if, if you're married, your spouse is here, you can come together as, as husband and wife, and, or maybe as a grandparent, uh, you'd like to come. I just want to open this altar that we would seek the Lord and pray most especially for those that, that are our own, that are in our own circle, that they would know the Lord Jesus Christ. If they don't know him, we would just be very clear and, and, and petition the Lord to be the hound of heaven, to be involved in their lives and to bring them to the knowledge of the truth of himself. Maybe, maybe those of us who, who uh, are, are here this morning, we would uh, maybe cast an even wider circle, and we would pray for lost people, maybe a young man that God has put, maybe a, 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 there's a, an awareness of someone in our life that we can be praying for, and we can minister to, and maybe even be a role model to. Let's open this up right now, and, and feel free to come. You want to stay in your seats that's fine or stay in your pew that that's that's fine but there's just something special about that tangible journey of physically coming before the lord that reminds us that lord this is this is serious and we trust you and we believe in you and we believe lord that uh, you have called us to make a difference
1: be mm-hmm. The lamp unto my feet And the light unto my path Holy words long preserved For our walk in this world They resound with God's own heart Oh, let the ancient words impart Words of life, words of hope Give us strength, help us cope In this world, where'er we roam Ancient words will guide us home ancient words ever true, changing me and changing you. We have come with open hearts, oh let the ancient words embrace. sacrifice heed the faithful words of Christ ancient words ever true changing me and changing you we have come with open hearts oh let the ancient words they have died for this faith hear them cry
0: I'm so grateful that you privileged me with being called a father to four amazing children. Lord, there's nothing that would bring me more joy than to know that they are walking in the truth. And I thank you, Lord, that through your grace, they are doing that even today. But I also know that, Lord, there is an enemy out there who has put a target on them and so many young people. But, Lord, we are going to stand up as a church. And we are raising a banner of love and defiance against Satan and his tactics. And we proclaim that through the blood of Jesus Christ that our children belong to the Heavenly Father. Lord, forgive us for our inconsistencies. Oh God, forgive us for our hypocrisies and for how we've fallen short of that righteousness, Lord, that would that would diminish the power of your word in our our children's lives. I pray, Lord, for that dad and mom who are Who are praying right now and for the grandparent and the aunt and the uncle who are lifting up to you son or a daughter who doesn't know you who has walked away from the church we know that lord that is not the end of the story that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could even imagine Lord, our prayer is this, that those circles would be unbroken. Lord, use us or use someone else, but Lord, accomplish your sweet and perfect will. Lord, we thank you for the young people in our church who who, uh, are faithful and who want to grow deeper and who love you so much. Lord, guard them. Keep them in your care. Help them to continue to grow in the knowledge and power of your salvation. We are a blessed church with so many fine, fine children and young people. May we treasure them. And may we we understand that, Lord, you're going to use them to change the world and to continue on that legacy of faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for the power of your word. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, breathe in us that we might uh, uh, commit ourselves to to be students of it, to to be trained up and to to be rebuked and corrected when needed, that we might be equipped for every good work. I pray this in the strong and beautiful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and all of God's people said, amen.